If you've got your Bibles, um, the Bible reading today is from Genesis chapter 18, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So, so from uh, verse 16 of chapter 18. Then the men got up from their meal and looked towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin is so fragrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you, be, uh, why? Why would you treat the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further with my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people in the city. Will you destroy the whole city for the sake of five? Then the Lord said, I will not destroy the city if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his question further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally Abraham said, Lord, please, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose there are only 10 found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Sam, and the music team, and, and Danny for communion. Lovely this morning. Turn this clicker thing on.
Yes, it works. Awesome. Before I start this morning, I just want to um, pass on my family's great thanks to you and your prayers and thoughts for my mum, Shirley. She's back home home now, which is absolutely wonderful, praise God. She's doing quite well. So uh, the heart, the pacemaker's doing what it's meant to do, and um, mum's back home gaining her strength. So thank you for your thoughts and prayers, and I'll just pass that on from my, my, my parents as well. Now this morning, the message is entitled Faithfulness Prevailing with God. And I have some questions up on the screen for you to consider before we start today. So what are you going to learn today? What did you learn? So I'm hoping you're going to learn something today as we share in God's word. What did God say to you? What's he going to talk to you about in your heart today? And also, what will you do when you leave here today? So um, we've got a fair bit to get through this morning, so put your thinking caps on, buckle up, and we're going to, going to get through this this morning. It's a fairly long Bible reading, wasn't it, Ken? Mm, mm. Does that mean a long message? Mm, mm. Anyway, <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today and this time to be able to worship you and come together as your family. Father, as we begin to uh, look into your word a, a little bit more today in, in Genesis 18 and, uh, and uh, the story there and, uh, and Abraham and your conversation with him and his conversation with you, Lord, help us to learn something today and grow in wisdom and in likeness of what you would have us to be and to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to, hopefully you've got your Bibles open, if not, that's okay. Pen and paper, you can write a few notes down. But one of the verses, the main verse I want you to focus on today is, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And that's verse 22. Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now many years ago, when I, I worked in the National Bank for, for about 11 years, and Rosalind and I, we spent some time down at Gundawindi on the border, and one Sunday afternoon, I was walking past the, the bank automatic telling machine. And my boss, the bank manager, was standing in front of the automatic telling machine. And it apparently was taking a little bit of time processing his withdrawal. And I heard him saying a few choice words as he was tapping his finger, waiting for his money to come out. But basically, he said these words. He said, come on, it's me, as if it's supposed to recognise he's the bank manager. So what's this little story about? Well, here's the thing. Automatic tellers treat bank managers the same way as everybody else. But what about God? Can I expect him to respond to my prayers in a special way because it's me? While it's true that God is no respecter of persons, it's also true that some are friends of God in a special sense. They know God and they see answers to prayer more consistently than others. The old saying, it's not what you know but who you know, that counts, at times is true. Connections, can I say, can make a difference. So I just want you to bear with me this morning as we go. So Abraham, he was a friend of God. It's mentioned quite a number of times in scripture. Um, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7 confirms that. Isaiah 41 verse 8 and James 2 verse 23 says that Abraham was a friend of God. In Genesis 18, we see Abraham conversing with the Lord and two angels that Ken read to us, who appeared in bodily form. After he served them a meal, they told him and Sarah that the next year the promised son would be given as Sarah would bear Isaac. Then the men arose, looked down towards Sodom and began to walk in that direction. 
as Abraham accompanied them. The Lord spoke so that Abraham could overhear him. Did you know that? And to also let Abraham know about the impending judgment of Sodom. Then as the two angels proceeded towards Sodom, Abraham stayed alone with the Lord and engaged in the first instance of intercessory prayer ever recorded in the Bible. It's a remarkable scene as Abraham basically takes the role of a defence attorney, a defence attorney for Sodom, arguing before the bench of divine justice. He gets God to agree that if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, he will stay the execution. Then in verses 25 to 33, he cautiously moves to 45. God agrees. Abraham dares to move to 40, then 30, then 20, and finally to 10. There Abraham rests his case. Having prevailed with God, while God did not find 10 righteous people in Sodom, he did honour Abraham's prayer by rescuing Lot and his family before destroying the region and all its inhabitants. If you look a bit further in John in Genesis 19.29. Okay, well what can we learn today? And this is where we're going to go. Let's have a look. First of all, I've got to set a little bit of a scene. Prevailing prayer. The word prevail, what, what is the prevailing prayer? The word prevail means to endure, accomplish, triumph or overcome and, and have influence. Therefore, prevailing prayer, I think we can come up with a very simple definition that is prayer that has influence with God. And to prevail in prayer, it means to endure until you have prayed through to an answer. Now, prevailing prayer, we've all experienced that probably in many shapes or form because quite often it can be born out of a desperate need or a hunger for things of God. It can be born out of a heavy burden for the condition of our own souls or the souls of others. Often it involves hours in prayer. Remember Jacob? He wrestled with God all night. If we are willing to do the work, we too can prevail with God through prayer. We can gain the victory over trials and temptations. To prevail takes a number of things, and that is faith, Sincerity, obedience, humility and persistence. Prevailing prayer, I believe, helps to conform us into God's desired image. His vessel, if you like. His instrument. And there's a difference, hey, between just prayer and prevailing prayer. I've talked to so many people over the years who say, Oh yes, I pray. Really? How long has it been since you really meant business with God? I'm not talking about just unloading all your requests either. Prevailing prayer spends time with God until something changes. But in the midst of all of this, I want you to note that foundationally is a word and a practice called faith. It has been said that God moves mountains, but faith and prayer move God. I just have a very quick little story to share with you about faith, prevailing faith. And it was about nine years ago I received a lesson on how faith moves a father. It was my own son who taught me this. About a year after moving to Mackay, we were up there for about six years, I was driving my two sons to school and it was a Friday. 
Every Friday was a day where they would have an all-school parade in formal uniform after their lunch break and had to wear a good old necktie. My oldest son did not have to wear one that particular day. He had a special sports event on, so he was in his sports uniform. And when we arrived at the school, as they were getting out of the car, my youngest realised he didn't have his necktie and he began to get upset. I quickly evaluated the situation and thought, he'll be okay. Surely there will be others out of the 700 students that won't have their necktie or they've forgotten it. He'll be fine for one Friday, surely. However, he didn't feel the same way. He got quite upset. His older brother turned to him and said, everything is going to be okay. Go to class and Dad will go home and get you your necktie and bring it to school. (laughs) And as the door of the car closed, my eldest son said to my youngest son again, Dad will bring your necktie. I drove away, still convinced that he would be fine without his tie. But the faith of his older brother, who was 15 at the time, assuring him that Dad would come through, prevailed with me. I went home, retrieved the tie and took it to the school office for him that day. Now, there are many examples in the Bible of people who had influence with God through prayer. And in every instance, we find, you know what, it was faith that was present And the reason for this, we can look to Hebrews 11, verse 16. And it says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So wherever there is prevailing prayer, you know what? There is always faith. Foundationally, I think our passage today reveals the role of God's people as the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13. And because of Abraham, God would have been willing to spare Sodom if only ten righteous people could have been found in it. Wicked societies tend to despise righteous people, and yet it is because of the righteous that God's judgment is often withheld. There are times in history when God declares that a wicked nation has filled up the measure of their sins we just got to look at uh, Genesis 15, verse 16 in that space. And when that occurs, even the godly cannot deliver that people from judgment. Ezekiel 14, have a look at that, 14 to 20. But until that point of no return is reached, God's people are the safeguard of a nation as they pray and live righteously before God. Sodom and Gomorrah, they've gone over the brink. God had determined to judge those evil cities and hold them up as a warning to all future generations of his coming final judgment, can I say. And since that final judgment day is coming closer, as we know, every sunrise, every sunset that we see, that day is coming closer as we do life. This passage today applies to us all. God wants us as his friends, to prevail with him concerning his plan of righteousness and justice for all nations. It's a big picture, this one. We have to zoom right out. As we pray, God will be pleased to save many before that great and awful day. The first thing we learn from this time that Abraham was with God is this. God reveals his plan 
of righteousness and justice to his friends. Now, verse 19, it can be translated as either I have chosen him or I have known him. A scholar, H.C. Leopold, translates it like this, for I acknowledge him to be my intimate friend. The Lord shares his secrets with his friends. Are you his friend? Jesus told his disciples in John 15, verse 15, here's his words. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Just take a moment and let that one sink in. I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Abraham in our passage today is shown to be God's friend as the Lord reveals the divine plan to him. So let's break this down a bit. God's plan of righteousness and justice is to be spread to all nations beginning with the family. This is a biggie. Who knows what a biggie is? Really important. This is absolutely huge. Abraham was God's chosen channel of blessing to all the nations. Genesis 12 verse 3 told us that. The fulfilment of God's covenant with Abraham centred in Jesus Christ our Saviour, Abraham's descendant through Isaac. God's purpose is to bless all the nations through Abraham's seed, but not to save all from judgment, as seen here with Sodom. Verse 19, snap and ducks, it's a big verse. Verse 19 shows the interplay between God's promises to Abraham were unconditional at the same time. Don't miss this. This is what you can't miss. Abraham's training of his family in God's ways was an essential part of the fulfilment of those promises. I want you to note the importance of the family in God's plan here. God states that he had known Abraham as his friend in order that he may command his children, this is verse 19, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what? Righteousness and justice. Fathers in the Old Testament, biblical time, commanded for training children are most often directed to fathers. But in today's reality of culture and context, can I say both parents are responsible to instill the Lord's way, which involves righteousness and justice upon their children. So just quickly and simply, what are these R and J words? Okay, Let's have a quick look. Righteousness. Righteousness, this is a big summary, little summary. It, it goes bigger than this. But for today, righteousness refers to conduct which conforms to the ethical or moral standard stemming from God's character. This is what we need to instill into our children. Justice points to the administration of God's righteousness in human affairs, such as government and society, through honest and consistent application of the law. In other words, what's all this mean? In other words, we are to teach our children through both example and instruction. 
how to live so as to please God both as individuals and in society. The context of verse 19 in this passage where Abraham pleads with God concerning the impending judgment of Sodom implies that we are to show our children the importance of prayer, especially prayer for a lost world that faces God's judgment. As parents, we should be praying both for and with our children frequently, especially for the lost. Two years ago, I was in the Maribara Correctional Centre when I was looking at prison, when I was doing prison chaplaincy work. I was sitting on a ping-pong table with one of the inmates, and he was covered in tattoos. And I was sitting with him there, he's about 26 years of age, and I was talking with him about his family, what's his sister up to, what's his brother up to. And um, I said, how's your brother going? He said, oh, you can ask him yourself, he's just over there. It just blew me away. What's happening with some of our families? And I said, what's your mum think? And he says, oh, she'll look after us when we get out. He was 26, brother was 23. And I've often heard the story about, um, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, but what do you do when the village is broken? God's word and our prayers, our prevailing prayer, can help in these situations. I've seen that through prison ministry, how the chaplains pray for these guys and girls. And through prevailing prayer, things do change. Anyway, here we see in Genesis the family is at at the heart of God's plan to bless all the nations through Abraham's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray for our children and train them so that they grow up with a vision of taking the gospel to those who have not yet heard. And to do that, we must understand God's plan of righteousness and justice. And God's plan of righteousness and justice means, means this. There is no sin escapes his notice and judgment. It's a warning. No sin escapes God's notice and judgment. The Lord tells Abraham here, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave, verse 20. Now back in Genesis 4, verse 10, when Cain killed Abel, the Lord said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Sin cries out to God. Just as right now there are many sounds surrounding us which we can't hear without a radio to tune them in or whatever, we are not aware of all the sins around us. But God is. It cries out to him for his righteous judgment. In speaking to Abraham, God adopts human language in reference to himself, verse 21. But he's making a point. Whenever he inflicts judgment, he does it on the basis of his perfect knowledge and justice. Because in Genesis 15 to 17, those few chapters back, we note that Sodom had a taste of it 15 years before when the kings of the east conquered the city and captured all the people and their goods. But Abraham had rescued them and restored all their possessions. Back then, most of them just shrugged off the incident as bad luck and continued full bore with their sin. But it, shared, but it should have served as a notice here. They needed to repent of their sin before it was too late. In Sodom, what happened that day? 
Everybody got up that final morning assuming that it would be like any other day. If you'd have asked the man on the street, how's it going? He probably would have replied, great. Stock market's up, city's not at war. I've got a good job, life's good. And yet 24 hours later, he and everyone else were dead. And the city was destroyed. To the pagans living nearby, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was an unfortunate natural disaster. While God's judgment always comes suddenly, it never comes without ample warning. God's plan of righteousness and justice means that no skin, no sin escapes his notice and his judgment. When you stand before God, either your sin will be upon Christ because you have fled to the cross, or you will stand condemned by the Holy God. Two scenarios. God has revealed his plan of righteousness and justice to us. He has. His friends, we are his friends. And what are we to do with this knowledge? We've already seen that we are to do righteousness and justice and teach our children the same. But also, with this knowledge, can I say today that God wants his friends, us, to prevail in prayer with him. The two angels start off on a path towards Sodom. The Lord hasn't directly told Abraham that he's going to judge that wicked city. But Abraham puts, he's pretty smart, two and two together. So he cautiously approaches the Lord and argues his case, as we saw. Here we see both the heart of God who delights in the prayers of his people and the heart of Abraham, who pleads God's mercy for these sinful people. And there are four principles of prevailing prayer in these verses. And I'm going to really scoot through them, okay? So hang on. We must draw near to his presence. These are the four principles in prevailing prayer. Abraham was still standing before the Lord and then he came near, approached him, verses 22 to 23. Only those who are close to God can intercede with him on behalf of others, can I say. Abraham was separate from Sodom. Lot was living in it and caught up in its sinful ways. It was Abraham, not Lot, who interceded for it. There is a distinct contrast between Abraham living peaceably in his tent, where he entertains the Lord and the angels, and Lot living in a house which Abraham never had in the fast lane of wicked Sodom. Bible commentator Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, the longer one remains in the presence of God, the more proper perspective he gains on the world and all that is therein. How true. Because I don't believe you have to wallow in the mud of the world to understand it, do we? The Bible gives us an adequate understanding of sin and its consequences. If we walk in holiness before God and meditate on his word, we'll have enough insight on the world and on people so that we can pray for and counsel them properly. Number two, to prevail with God, we must appeal to his person. Abraham appeals to God based on who God is, namely the just judge of all the earth, verse 25, and that he is merciful. Since he is merciful, Abraham could ask that he spare the whole wicked city on behalf of the few righteous. And yet he is just. 
He will not ultimately treat the righteous and the wicked in the same manner. When we pray, we must keep both aspects of God's character in view. This sense, that's important. In Paul's words, we must remember both the kindness, the kindness and severity of God. Romans 11.22. And we must pray accordingly with that in mind. Underlying this is Abraham's concern for God's reputation. Or glory, if you like. He's concerned that if God wipes out the righteous with the wicked, others will question his justice. Abraham was not quite right here. In that sometimes God's temporal judgment falls on both the righteous and the wicked. Luke 13, 1 to 5. God always does right, no matter how it appears to sinful men. But Abraham's motive here was right to appeal to the reputation of God and to desire that God look good, if you like, or be glorified. He wanted God to be glorified in the world. So when we pray, we should appeal to our Lord on the basis of his glory and his person as revealed in his word. That's our benchmark. Especially the balance between his mercy and his judgment. Our prayers should be in line with God's glory and his merciful and yet holy person. Number three, Abraham displays a reverent boldness toward the Lord, but never presumption. He has and keeps a right perspective. In verse 27 in the Hebrew, he uses the word Adonai, meaning Lord or Master. He is quick to acknowledge that he is but dust and ashes. Note that the Lord doesn't correct Abraham by saying you need to boost your self-esteem, mate. Commentator John Calvin points out that the nearer Abraham approaches to God, the more fully sensible does he become of the miserable and abject condition of men. In Hebrews 4.16, God has told us to come boldly. We all know that. Boldly become boldly before his throne in prayer. We often sing that as well in our songs. But only that we may receive mercy and grace. We draw near only as unworthy sinners who appeal to him, to our God, on the merit and worthiness of our Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Abraham also maintained the proper perspective toward those for whom he prayed. There is no hint that he thought of himself as better than those in Sodom. He knew many of these people from the time he rescued them from the kings of the east. He easily could have looked down on them and said, I risked my neck for these no-gooders years ago. Now look at them. When are they going to wise up? Could easily have that attitude. But Abraham prayed for Sodom with the very real awareness of his own sinfulness. We need that same perspective in our prayers. We need a reverent boldness in coming before the Lord and arguing our case. But we need to remember at all times that we are unworthy sinners who have found mercy. The scholar Leopold comments, as a man who has himself received mercy seeks to secure mercy for others. Do we do that? So to prevail with God, we must draw near to his presence, his person and his perspective. So the last one, let's wrap this up. Just ask the music team if you could come up, thanks. 
and uh, we'll get ready to uh, sing our last song as well. But the last one, to prevail with God, we must persevere in our pleading. Abraham continued on from point to point later on in this passage, as Ken read to us, daring to ask God for more until he went as far as he dared. Someone once said that Abraham ceased asking before God ceased giving. My opinion is that Abraham sensed that he was at the limit at 10 and that if he went further, he would no longer be pleading according to God's will. God answered Abraham by rescuing Lot and his family before destroying Sodom. We need to remember that prayer is not getting God to do my will, our will, but rather his will. Luke 11, 8 to 10, the man and his family were already in his bed. Remember this story, but this friend kept banging on the door. Jesus applied it to our need to keep knocking on heaven's door, prevail. He also told of the judge, we might remember that one in Luke 18, verse 4, 4, verse 8, who would not listen to the repeated pleas of a widow? But finally, to get some relief, what did he do? He gave her what she wanted. How much more, said Jesus back then, will God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him, to pray to him, persevere in prayer? So the challenge this morning... If we could read a transcript of our prayers over the past week, I have a hunch that many, many of them would be personal needs and they're legitimate. Lord, help me with this exam. Get a job. Help me with this sickness. That, that's all legitimate, absolutely. But in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 to 10, focus on this one. In the Lord's Prayer, the first item of business, first item of business is the honour and purpose of the Father. Honour and purpose of the Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. After that comes prayer for our needs, our prayers, like Abraham's. Should centre on what God is doing in the world. Can I say that we need to pray for God to be glorified by showing mercy to lost families, lost friends, neighbours. Pray for the lost nations and missionaries who are seeking to reach them with the gospel. Pray for this church, that God would be glorified here. Pray for our, our city, Toowoomba, our nation, that God would stay his hand of judgment, that many would turn from the sin and trust him before the day of judgment. Let's stand. Let's stand together. One last story, and we're going to sing a great song. One last story. Years ago, the China Inland Mission discovered that the number and spiritual strength of the converts at one particular station far exceeded anyone's expectations and could not be accounted for by anything exceptional about the missionary personnel there. The mystery remained unsolved until a fellow by the name of Hudson Taylor visited England, who was a part of that uh, station. There at the close of Taylor's message, a man from the audience stepped forward to greet him. And in the ensuing conversation, Taylor learned that the man had detailed knowledge of this missionary station, this outpost. How is it, asked Taylor, that you are so conversant with the conditions of the work there? Oh, he replied, for four years I have corresponded with my missionary friend there. He has sent me the names of inquirers and converts 
And I have daily taken these names to God in prayer. He prevailed. Taylor realised the answer to the puzzle. The daily, specific, prevailing prayer of this man had brought eternal fruit for God's glory. God wants us, his friends, to prevail with him concerning his plan of righteousness and justice. Don't forget it starts in the home. Remember Genesis 18.22. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord.